Progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Daily Power Parsha. Today is Tuesday, October 19th, 2021. And this is going to be our first session for a new Torah portion because we did not meet yesterday. So we're picking it up here on Tuesday and we have a bunch of readings to cover in our Torah portion, which is absolutely action-packed. So buckle up because we're about to go from zero to 60 in Tesla or whatever um, speed, warp speed. Okay, I'm sharing my screen. Torah reading for Vayera. That's the name of the Torah portion, Vayera, which comes from the first word of the portion, Vayera. Vayera, Vayera. Here we go. All right, Genesis chapter 18, verse number one. Torah tells us, Now the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, and he was sitting at the entrance of the tent when the day was hot. Let me give you a little context. At the end of last week's Torah portion, God commanded Abraham to give himself a brit milah, a circumcision, which will stand as a covenant, a permanent um, sign in the skin about the covenant between God and Abraham and Abraham's descendants. So that's what the brit milah, that's what the circumcision attests to. Attest to this, uh, this covenant. So Abraham now, at the age of 99, is circumcised. And as you can imagine, there's a bit of a recovery period for such a procedure, his last surgery, at the age of 99. So Abraham, I'm giving you a little background here. Abraham is resting and recuperating at home. And God knows that Abraham loves inviting guests but God does not want him to be bothered with guests when he needs to spend time recovering. You know, sometimes we can be over-anxious to do things that we'd like to do, but meanwhile, we, our, our body needs to needs that time to recuperate. So God made the, the, the sun become hotter than usual, or more precisely, as it says in the, in, in the good books, God put a shield between the sun and the earth, that's what it says, it's a type of shield that diminishes the full intensity of the sun so that it doesn't bake the earth too, too much, uh, to too much of a degree. So this is kind of like it, it, to, it, cool, it, it, it cools down the sun a little bit, and, or at least it blocks the full intensity. And God removed that for those few days for the recovery so that no one would come, so that no travelers were, were coming by. So that Abraham wouldn't have to be bothered with um, welcoming guests. Well, Abraham is the consummate um, host. So he's sitting outside the entrance of his tent looking for people. There's no one around because it's so hot outside. No one's traveling. But he's, he's out there because even though he's recovering, he needs to be hospitable. That's just his nature. That's his big mitzvah. So God appears to him as Abraham was sitting. I'm just explaining this line right here that while Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent while the day was hot. The day was hot because God made it hot. He was sitting at the entrance looking for guests, but there were none, there were none passing by. So instead, God appears to him. So God appears to him, and it doesn't say why, because the next, the next sentence talks about three men that do show up. So why did God appear to him? According to the commentaries, it was in order to visit the sick. And we learn here about a big mitzvah, that when somebody's not feeling well, it's a mitzvah to visit them. What you say to them is less important as, 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 as just the visit itself. So God appears to Abraham. God visits Abraham 
we learn about the mitzvah of Biker Cholem visiting those who are not feeling well. By the way, it says that when you visit someone who's sick, you take away one sixtieth of their of their um, unwellness, of their illness, of their not feeling well. In other words, just being with a person lifts their spirit, and that that already helps the recuperation. So it's good to visit. If you can't visit, phone call. You know, voice chat, voice so message. So every day for two months, the person will be cured. See that? That's the message. Every day is 60th. Maybe it's the same 60th every day. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, the, the, and, and today we know more than ever because it's, studies have, have shown this. The connection, the holistic element of healing. How it's not just body, but it's also mind and spirit and, and emotion. How all of these various components of the human being work together. There was a time when, when doctors thought Purely medical, purely physical or physio- physiological, doesn't have to do with the, you know, with the mind. But we know that we know the truth is when a person's in better spirits, the more the body responds, the more likely to follow the doctor's, um, you know, advice or, or, or orders, whatever you want to call it, um, dictates. Sorry, but it, that might be part of the, the, the content for your meditation class in the spring. Like a healing meditation could be. I haven't seen the content yet. I'm I'm not working with July in on the on the creation of that one. It's funny when I was in New York, I met uh, Rabbi Naftali Silverberg. He's one of the he's. There's two editors in chief. There's there's a team of two, and he's one of them. I worked with him on the Mashiach course on the on the on the class that I wrote for that course. So it was nice. I met him. In this, I met him just walking down Kingston Avenue, the main street over there, and he met Shalom, my son, and. So nice thing. He said, are you available? I said, sure. Anyway, we were schmoozing a little bit about upcoming projects. Um, so stay tuned. But the meditation one, yeah. I would, I, I would hope that there's something about that, about that connection. Um, well, also that. just the meditation itself. I mean, on what you said, I mean, that relieves stress, which, which tries to prevent. Yes, yes. Correct. Stress. Right. I was, yeah. taking, I, was, I was thinking a little no, bit I'm too. I was thinking both. both. Yeah, I yeah. was, yeah. You're right. Just the fact that the mind is in a healthy place, a relaxed place, helps the body. And we, we know this. We, we don't need a study to know that when we're in a positive mood, we, are, we feel healthier. When we're, you know, when we're anxious, the body hurts. It, it just it, it affects. It's, it's, it just is what it is. We are a whole being, mind, heart, body, soul. Everything's connected. So anyway, God visits Abraham. And that's, so he, visit, he visits him to, 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 you know, to lift his spirits. Then next, cut to the next scene, verse 2. And Abraham, he, the whole time it's he, he, he. And Abraham lifted his eyes. And he saw for the first time in three days. This was day number three, by the way. This was day three from the, from the Brit. The day, it says, after a procedure, the third day is always the most difficult. This was the third day. It was the most painful he lifts his eyes and he sees, and behold, three men were standing beside him. And he saw and he ran toward them from the entrance of the tent. And he prostrated himself to the ground. So for the first time in three days, he, he sees people. Three men. Now, spoiler alert, these were not three men. They were not men. They were three, but they weren't men. They were angels that had come down to earth in human form to fulfill a certain task. Now, the crazy thing is, the wild thing is, that our tradition tells us that this is not such an infrequent thing. 
This happens. Sometimes angels are sent dispatched to do a, mis- a mission on earth, and they assume a human form. That's what it says. So the angels, three angels, appearing as three men, show up out of nowhere by Abraham's tent. All right. Well, now Abraham jumps into action because that's, that's what he's all about. So Abraham saw them and he ran toward them from the entrance of the tent and he prostrated himself to the ground. He was so grateful that he had guests. He is bowing down to them. He's like, oh, thank you. Finally, some guests to feed and to shelter and to take care of. And he said to them the following, my lords, if only I have found favor in your eyes, please do not pass on from beside your servant. He's begging them, please don't, don't keep on traveling. Stop here, come here. And by the way, it's not because he was looking for business. He's not looking for money. Looking to, to give, looking to share, looking to teach. Because he taught everybody about, about God when, he, when they came in to eat. Anyway, so he invites them in. Continues, he's selling them on coming into his, to his tent. Please let a little water be taken and bathe your feet and recline into the tree. Relax, take it easy, come in, I'll give you, I'll give you some water. I'll let you uh, clean up a little bit. You can relax under the, in the shade. Verse 5. And I will take a morsel of bread and sustain your hearts. Give you some food to eat also. And afterwards you, will, you shall pass on. That was afterwards you'll go on your way because you have passed by your servant. In other words, because you passed by your servant. Stop here. That, that this because. I'm just trying to explain this because. Because you passed by your servant is an explanation of why he's inviting them in. There's the fact that you're coming by my tent. Divine providence. It means you're supposed to stop by and come in and rest a little bit and eat and drink a little bit and cool off. And then you can go. But you pass by, your, you pa- you pass by me, you should stop. And they said to him, so shall you do as you have spoken. In other words, deal. Perfect. We're on. What happens next? And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah. So he runs inside. He says, Sarah, we got guests. And he said to her, hasten three saw of meal and find flour. Knead and make cakes. Let's get to work. Let's start making food. And that's what he told her. She was going to bake. And what did he do? He got the grill going. He got the barbecue going. And to the cattle did Abraham run. He ran to the animals. He took a calf, tender and good, and he gave it to the youth. He gave it to the short order chef. And he hastened to prepare it. And he took cream and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he placed them before them. So Abraham took all of this stuff, cream and milk and calf. Oh, meat and milk. Uh Uh-oh, we'll talk about that soon. So he took all this stuff. And he, with the bread and everything, and he placed them, the food before them, and he was standing over them under the tree, and they ate. Abraham was standing. He was serving them. He, he prepared the food. He, he managed the, uh, he organized the whole, the whole operation. And he was at the ready to give them whatever they needed, and they ate. Now, did they actually eat if they were angels? No, they pretended to eat. But... That was good enough for Abraham to practice hospitality, even if at the end they didn't actually eat. We spoke about that last week at the Torah Studies class, a little bit about intention versus outcome. His intention was good, and, and therefore, certainly before uh, the giving of the Torah, that was the main idea of, uh, of the mitzvah, is about the personal experience. Okay, good. So now we have three angels in Abraham's tent, relaxing, eating and drinking, and enjoying the meal. I need to stop for a moment and point out one thing. 
when he sells them about coming into the tent, look what he says. He says, I'll give you a little water. He uses little water and a morsel of bread. Yeah, as far as the food. Yeah, the bathing feet and reclining under the tree, fine. But as far as the food, a little water and a morsel of bread. He promises them very little. What does he deliver? Oh, a four-course meal. He's giving them the bread. He's giving them fresh bread. He's giving them meat. He's giving them, well, meat, uh, milk. He's giving them cream. He's giving them meat. The whole deal, who knows? For all we know, he gave them, made them brownies also, like a, a, a dessert with ice cream and, 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 and strawberries. It, a, a whole suit, a whole meal. So from this, we have a beautiful lesson. This is something that the classic, our sages point out, the commentaries point out. Always promise little and over-deliver, right? Abraham promises a little water and a morsel of bread, and he brings out a, ki- a feast fit for a king. Always, that's a good way to live. Good way to live is under-promise, over-deliver, as opposed to over-promising, sure, I'll do this, and then the delivery is not so good. So, always better to promise humbly and, uh, and deliver, over-deliver. The contrast, by the way, is Ephron, the guy that um, next week's Torah portion, when Abraham's wife, Sarah, passes away and he needs a burial spot. So he negotiates to buy a, the cave of Machpelah that's there till today. He negotiates to buy that land to bury his wife. And the, the guy says, I'll give it to you for free. He says, no, I'll give you something. No, let me give you something for it. Oh, and he says, okay, fine. So then give me 400 shekel kesef. Give me 400 silver coins. Or whatever, talents of silver, which is a lot of money. So the guy first promises for free, and then he hits him up with like retail, you know, like full price. So that is the contrast. That's the type of guy who like promises, you know, eh, and then delivers not at all a bait and switch in, in a negative way. So always bait and switch in the positive way, not the negative way. Under promise, over deliver as opposed to over promising and under delivering. Does that make sense? Good. All right. Let's get back inside the text. Oh, by the way, how did he serve the meat and milk together? We've had many classes on this. One basic answer is, as the Torah says, he first gave them the cream and the milk, the dairy. And then it says, and the calf. So first dairy, and then meat, and that's kosher. Because if it's the other way around, you have to wait a long time. After eating meat, till you eat dairy, you have to wait about six hours. But the other way, we wait, custom is about one hour, but some people wait less. And the truth is, from a, from a pure legal perspective in Jewish law, you, you could do it immediately if you rinse your mouth and you eat something in between. You could go meat to milk. So you can go meat to milk pretty much smoothly, but not meat to milk. I hope I said that right. I'm going to say it one more time because I'm not sure if I mixed it up in my head. You can go from milk, from dairy to meat. You can go, but not the other way around, not from meat to dairy. So that's what he did. He gave them the dairy, then the meat, and that was it. Okay, now the narrative continues. So now, verse 9, they said to him... After pretending to eat and being taken care of, they said, the, the three angels, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, angel number one said, 
I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, your wife Sarah will have a son. The angel said, I'll, come, I'll be back next year. And by that time, your wife will have a son. And Sarah heard from the entrance of the tent and it was behind him. Sarah hears this dialogue. She was in the tent, but I mean, it wasn't like soundproof. So she heard. By the way, what day was this? This was the first night, the first, what, the first night or first day of Passover. This was Passover. How do we know this? Because the promise was that Isaac would be born in exactly a year. Isaac was born on Passover. And so this meal that Abraham gave to the angels was like a Passover Seder. That's why it's three sa'av meal, or the commentaries say, three sa'av meal. You know how many matzahs we have at the Seder? Three matzahs. Three matzahs, three sa'av meal. Right? So, um, yeah. So anyway, that, that was their, uh, again, this is obviously, we have Passover for the Exodus. This is hundreds of years, centuries before the Egyptian experience even happened. So obviously, they weren't having a Seder per se, but a meal on that day that would later in history become known as Passover. So anyway, so they tell, the, the angel says, um, FYI, by, by this time next year, or exactly in a year, your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah heard this, and here's what, well, here's what happens next. The narrator jumps in. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, coming on in years. And Sarah had ceased to have the way of the women. In other words, she was no longer physically able to have children, just based on her body. She wasn't, she had ceased to have the way of the women. In other words, it's a euphemism for she was no longer capable of having children, physically. And Sarah therefore laughed within herself, saying, after I have become worn out, will I have smooth flesh? I mean, like, I'm, I'm old. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have smooth flesh. In other words, am I going to become a young, a young girl again? It's not happening. Remember, at this time, Abraham was 99. She was 89 or 90 years old. So she laughed. She laughed. She's, she has another angels. She sees three guys. And they're like, oh, I give you a promise, a blessing, that by next year your wife is going to have a son. She's laughing. Are you kidding me? Not happening. And also, my master is old. Not only me, my husband. My master means my husband. Abraham's old also. You think, I'm old. He's old. He's 10 years older than me. We're going to have kids? Pfft, not happening. By the way, the word for laugh is vatitzchak. Titzchak. Which is related to Yitzchak. Yitzchak means laughter. Surrounding the birth of, of Isaac, of Yitzchak, there's a lot of laughter. Last week, Abraham laughed upon hearing God's news. This week, Sarah's laughing. Everyone's laughing. Anyway, not he's a laughing stock, but there's, there's, there's joy to the point of laughter and even incredulity, whatever the word is, even being incredulous about it. Like, is it even possible? Okay. And the Lord said to Abraham, so God says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, is it really true that I will give birth although I am old? Is anything hidden from the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So God corroborates what this 
man angel, this angel in the guise of a man, said to Abraham and Sarah overheard. God says, you think it's a funny, it's not a joke. It's serious, right? It's not, what, Sarah can't have a child just because she's old? Is there anything hidden from God? In other words, is there anything I can't do? You, th- you think someone's too old for me to give them a child? Not happening. I mean, sorry, not not happening. The fact that it's impossible is not true. Anything's possible when it comes to me, God. Next year, at that appointed time that, the, that that angel said, I will come back, and indeed, she will have a son. So here we have the clear promise, not just, let me just explain. You've had promises before. God said to Abraham, you're going to have a son, you're going to have a son. You're gonna have, not Yishmael, another son from Sarah. You're, God promised. But now you have, like, hands and feet with the promise. Now you have a time. The clock is ticking. Now you have one year. All right, now... Now it's, becoming, now it's becoming real. There's one thing that somebody says, you know what, one day I'll give you this, that, or the other. Yeah, I'll give you, you know. And then it's like, no, by next year or, or in six months, it's yours. It's a different thing. It's a different experience, right? It's like when your uncle, when you were a kid, if this ever happened, didn't happen to me, but theoretically. If your uncle said to you, ah, you know my sports car, my 19, give me a sports car, 1970s, what? What's a sports car? Corvette? Sure. Corvette, done. My 1976 Corvette, if that's a thing, right? The uncle says to the nephew, you know, when you, be, when you get older, I'm going to give it to you. Sure, one day. And then the guy, then your uncle says to you, by the way, remember the Corvette? I promise you, it's happening. It's uh, in one year, it's yours. On this day, next year, it's yours. It's a different experience. So that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful blessing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, there's movement now in this story, in this narrative. All right, let's welcome Marcus joining. Okay, we'll welcome him when he jumps in. Let's get back to sharing the screen and to reading number two. So that's reading one. I went through it a little bit quicker and, and omitted some layers of commentary just in the interest of uh, respecting the, the time that we have and the ground that we have to, to get through, to cover. So let's now jump into, hey Mark, Let's now jump into reading number two, Vayera, reading two, Genesis chapter 18, verse 15. Let's do, let's jump in. And Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh because she was afraid, right? Because God said, you laughed. And she says, I didn't laugh. And no, God said, no, but you laughed. You have to understand, every time, every time the word laugh is used, it's just, again, Yitzchak, Tzachachti, Tzachachta, Right, Yitzchak is these three letters with a yud in the be- in beginning. Yitzchak, tzachakti, tzachakta. It's all laugh. So much laughter. I did laugh. You did laugh. I didn't laugh. Yeah. Laughter. All right. Now let's get back to the narrative. So remember, three. It was after the circumcision. Three days later, God visited. Three angels come to visit, and the men arose from there, and they looked upon Sodom. That's a foreboding look. The men arose and they gazed toward the Sodom Valley. And Abraham went out, went with them to escort them. Now, I like this, okay, every verse, so many things to talk about. A few quick things. Number one, why does Abraham go with them to escort them? From here we learn, good hosting protocol. Someone comes to your house, 
walk them, when they leave, walk them out. Don't kick them out. When they leave, you walk them out as a sign of respect. You walk out with them to the porch, a few steps. It's not like, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. That's not that's rude. You walk them out as a sign of respect. So that's what Abraham does. He's the ultimate consummate host. That's one lesson. The other thing is this gazing at Sodom. They're looking at Sodom. Red flag right there for Sodom. It's like, uh-oh, because there were three men that were really three angels. And each one had a job. Why were there three men or three angels? Because the rule in the spiritual realms is that one angel cannot perform two different missions. Now, how do I know that that's the rule? Because that's what the good books tell us, that one angel can only have one mission, cannot multitask. There's no multitasking with angels. One mission, one angel. That's it. That's what it says. I don't have firsthand knowledge, but that's what it says. One angel, one task. So there were three jobs that needed to be done. One was to heal Abraham. An angel brought healing. Another was to give the news about Sarah's giving birth to Isaac in a year. The news of the baby. And the other angel was sent to, de- to destroy Sodom. And Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and... No, Sodom and Amorah, Sodom and Gomorrah, except the Hebrew and English names. Right? Those cities, those four or five cities, were destroyed. There was one angel whose job it was to do that. So every angel had a different job. One for healing, one for good news, and one for destruction. Different angels. One of the um, messages of Yom Kippur, which we just celebrated a few weeks ago, um, a month ago, a little over a month ago, is um, one of the themes is that we're like angels. We wear white, and we don't eat or drink. We kind of like, you know... We're, like, we're, we're living the, the angel life for one day a year. So the, the, this idea is also, is also brought in relation to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur reminds us that sometimes in life we need to slow down like an angel and just do one thing at a time. No multitasking. Sometimes we, we think we could do it all. Like, I'll do this job and that job. I'm going to heal, bring good news, and... Take care of business, you know, some, some tough, uh, some t- it's, sometimes we can't do it all. Sometimes we need just to focus on one thing. Certainly at one time, just one thing. So that's the message from the angels. Donna, yeah. Um, I like your, you know, comparison of we're like an angel on Yom Kippur because we don't need food or drink, but we're, but we're, it's described as they were afflicted. Right. Yes. Yes, good. So that's only for the body. That's only for the body. Yeah, in other words, the affliction is, from the body's perspective, like, oh no, why are you depriving me? What's wrong? Because it's not a day of body, it's a day of soul. It's a day of spirit, like the angel. Angels never need. So the one day we don't need it. Exactly. Now, we might need it, but we're not going to get it. (laughs) Yeah. We might need it, but it's not happening. Right, exactly. We don't need it because we're so highly spiritually connected. Exactly. And and the truth is, as you know, because we've talked about this probably hundreds of times by now, 
the, that's not the way we're meant to live our lives 24-7 because we're meant to be in this world and of this world and eat and drink and do physical things. But we're meant to do it with a bit of a higher perspective. So we're, never, we're not meant to be 24-7 angels. One day a year, we live hashtag angel life, right? To then integrate a bit of a higher consciousness within our mundane life. The ideal is the higher consciousness informing the mundane activities. One day a year we escape, become like the angels, and then hopefully bring it back down. So the idea of single tasking is very beautifully expressed within the, uh, the angels experience. Um, let's jump back into the narrative. So just, just to be, yeah, hold on Mark, Mark, one second before you, before you jump in. So um, just to be clear, what were the three jobs for the three angels? Healing, healing Abraham, um, bringing the good news and the blessing for the child, and overturning the cities that would be overturned shortly of Sodom and, uh, and Amora. Yes, Mark. Yeah, actually two things. Uh, the first is, According to what Baba Messiah, that's what a note is I have here. Unless you've already said this, and you, you did, I apologize. The three angels were Michael, who came to inform Sarah, Raphael, who came to heal Abraham, and Gabriel, who came to, to overturn Sodom. Uh, I, I didn't mention their names, but thank you. So we have Michal, who is bringing the good news, Raphael, who is healing, and Gabriel, who's overturning the city. By the way, these angels correspond to Chesed. Michal is Chesed. Gavriel is Gavura. Even Gavriel, the, 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 the Hebrew word Gavriel, Gabriel. Gavriel, Gevura, it's related. So that's the one about overturning the city, justice, right? Punishment. Anyway, but thank you for adding the names. Yeah, and by, I should also mention, these angels aren't necessarily, you know, a one... There's a whole camp, Machene Michal, Machene Gavriel. There's a camp of angels that are all called Michael, Michal or Gavriel, Michael or Gabriel. There's a whole genre of angels that share the same name, persona, because they all are from the same, in the same group, so to speak. Just, just as an FYI. Was, uh, was Gabriel also the angel of death in Egypt? Um... Was Gabriel also the angel of death? Ah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I don't remember it being... I don't remember him, that angel's name being specified vis-a-vis -vis the 10th plague, um, the death of the firstborn. Usually we refer to it as just the angel of death, Malach Amavet, over there. Um, why not here? I don't know. I don't know. By the way, the angel that healed Abraham is the same angel that also saved Lot, which we haven't yet read that narrative, rescued Lot and his uh, family from the destruction. Um, yeah, that, yeah, Ari, that, yeah. that's also in Baba Metzia, uh that saying actually, while it's, it's a fourth task, actually the, the fourth task is a, it's a task of mercy, which also is combined with healing Abraham. Right, exactly, right. It's the same which tells us that an angel can do two jobs as long as they're the same, the same genre, the same, uh, basically the same concept. So the, the healing 
And the rescuing, it's all about kindness and mercy and compassion, so it's all, it's all within the same, the same angel persona. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Now, let's get to the next piece, which is very interesting. God, verse 17, And the Lord said, God says almost to himself, Shall I conceal from Abraham what I'm doing? Uh, it's not right. I can't keep this a secret. So, and Abraham will become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of the world will be blessed in him. For I have known him because he commands his sons and his household after him that they should keep the way of the, of the Lord to perform righteousness and justice in order that the Lord bring upon Abraham that which he spoke concerning him. Now, this sounds like what, is ha- like ha- what happened to the story? What happened to the narrative? For, I'm just going to explain very simply. Very simply. It's God having a rhetorical conversation. God says, should I not tell Abraham what's going on? I have to tell him. I have to tell him. After all, I promised him he's going to be a great nation. I promised him that we're going to have this connection. We made, we made a covenant. We made a commitment to each other. I have to be open. Communication. What's the most important thing in a relationship? Communication. I can't keep something from Abraham. I have to communicate. Now, by the way, why did I choose Abraham to be mine? Why did I make a covenant with Abraham? Oh, verse, that was verse 19. Because he commands his sons and his household after him. That they should keep the way of the Lord from righteousness and justice. Not only is he, is he uh, um, uh, a righteous guy, he's going to ensure that his kids are also righteous. So that's why me and Abraham, were tight. So if we're tight, I have to share what I'm about to do. So after that rhetorical conversation for three verses, the narrative picks back up. So the Lord said, Since the cry of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, has become great, and since their sin has become very grave, I will descend now and see whether according to her cry, which has come to me, they have done. In other words, I'm sensing, rumor is, that there's been a, a, a great evil that has been perpetrated there. Now I want to see whether her cry indeed is legit. Whether the cry of pain, of injustice, is indeed correct. And, I need to, and, and, and if so, then I will wreak destruction upon them. And if not, I will know. So I need to know either way. So let me go down, so to speak, and check it out. Obviously, God knows God doesn't need to go down, but it's a message for us. When we hear something, you have to investigate. Don't react. Knee-jerk reaction. I'll tell you this. It's a human tendency. Everyone's, we're all guilty. I think most of us at least are all guilty of this. Somebody tells you a story. You know what that person said to me? Uh, Can you believe it? And you're like, I can't believe it. Unbelievable. Now, do we know what happened? Of course not. All we know is based on the subjective reporting of our friend who just told us how bad the other guy is. But what do we do? Because they're our friend, so we immediately jump on the bandwagon and say, you're right, they're terrible, I can't believe it, you should cut off connection, don't speak to them, blah, 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 tell them, give them a piece of your mind. We're giving advice as if we know what happened. Are you with me? Yes, we all, can't say all, who knows, your mind is very I think many of us are guilty of this. We hear one side of a story, and we feel, or we, we jump immediately into, I've judged it, assessed it, and have advice for it. And maybe it's the, it's the wrong advice. Because maybe the story that we just got is not really the story. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not a good friend, that they're lying. It's just, it's just subjectivity. Everyone's subjective. But hearing one side, one subjective side of a story, does not render us fit to render judgment. That's just not this. I, I hope that makes sense. 
So God hears the cry. Now, God, of course, knows from the inside out what's going on. But to teach us a lesson about judging, God says, I'm going to go down to Sodom and see what the deal is. If the cry really is indeed the cry that I'm hearing up there. Again, not that it actually has to happen physically, but it's a lesson for us. What's the cry? What happened? So there's a big misconception about Sodom. And what the sin that got them destroyed was. Why is there a misconception? I don't know. I don't know where it came from. I mean, if I asked you, I'm not, I'm not actually, I don't even want to get so deep into the conversation with this, but if I asked you, what, what is Sodom known for? What sin did they do? You would say, Sodom is, you would have a certain image of, 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 of a sin. A certain perception of what that sin was. Or what that action was. According to Jewish commentaries, it's not, there's nothing to do with that. Sodom, their, their primary issue was their motto, they believed in I don't bother you, you don't bother me. What's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. No sharing, no giving, no compassion, no hospitality, no, none of that. In other words, all of the Jewish values that we've been speaking about, Abraham's kindness and God's visiting the sick and Abraham's hospitality, all of that stuff was the opposite of where Sodom was on a societal level. Shali, shali, shalach, shalach, mine is mine, yours is yours, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. The greatest sin in Sodom was somebody who shared with someone else. There are many stories about people who invited guests and how they were punished for inviting guests. As we'll see soon in the narrative, Lot, Abraham's nephew, Avram's nephew, invites guests, the angels. And before you know it, oh my gosh, those angels. They want to, they want to get those, those guys and, and, and God knows what with them. They were anti-hospitality, anti-kindness, anti-compassion, anti-tzedakah. That was the big issue of Sodom. Mine is mine, yours is yours, that's it. No, no. And that's the opposite of Judaism. It's like the opposite modality. You know what the Chassidim of the Yat Rebbe would say? It's recorded in Hayom Yom. The Rebbe writes this. The Chassidim of the Yat Rebbe would say, that's the Yat Rebbe is the founder of Chabad. So his, his disciples would say, Das is deiner wie meiner. That's, it's yours as much as it's mine. In other words, my, my stuff, it's yours like it's mine. They would say first yours, then mine. It's yours as it's mine. It's yours first, mine second. Yeah. Sharing is caring. That's what my kids always say. Sharing is caring. I guess they learned that in school, in preschool. But it's a motto that shouldn't remain in preschool. Sharing is caring. Sharing is divine. To share is divine. God shares with us life. We're meant to be in His image. Share. Sodom was anti-sharing. To the point that a story happened. And that's what I want to share with you now. Her cry. You notice that the Torah says, God says, let me see if her cry. Her, who's her? There's a story. There was a young woman in Sodom who invited guests over to her house. Oh, I'm sorry, I think she didn't invite them over even. She shared food bread, food, money, something, with someone in need. 
she was caught and hauled off to court. They brought her to, they had a court system. They brought, how do I know this? Because Lot was appointed as the judge, Supreme Court judge of Sodom right before it got overturned. <laughs> a short-lived, uh, a short-lived judge. Anyway, she gives food to this guy who's hungry. Somebody spots her. It's like, you know, you can imagine the like communist. Whatever. Somebody spots her sharing. And now she's hauled off to court. You're sharing. That's the worst offense. They take her body and they cover it in honey. And they put her near a beehive or near, uh, I don't know what it was, like a bee, whatever. And the bees attacked her until she died. Horrific, torturous death. Her cries, agony, her cries of pain pierced the heavens. And God said, that's it. That's it. This society is done. A society that can treat someone else like that for the crime of sharing, we're done. We're done here. So that's, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Sodom had to go. And that's uh, where we're up to in the narrative. Let's continue inside. I hope that clarifies this. Right? Since the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah has become great, and their sins become very grave, I will descend out and see whether, according to her cry, they have done. In other words, is it as bad as it sounds? Of course, God knew this, but as I said before, this reminds us to always investigate. God didn't need to investigate. God is pretending to investigate to remind us to do the same. Um, okay, here we go. And the men turned from there and went to Sodom. The angels. The angels, having finished their job with Abraham, now turned to Sodom. How many angels? How many angels went to Sodom? Two angels, not three. Two angels. Remember who the, who the three angels were. You had one to give Sarah the news about the birth, one to heal Abraham, one to overturn the city. So which two continue? The, only the, the, the second two, not the, ah, I can't do my friend. Not the first who was giving a message about the birth, the one that was healing Abraham and the one that was overturning Sodom, obviously. They went to Sodom. The one that was healing was going to be the one to rescue Lot. So they both went. Just the two, the third one went back, wherever it went, two now head off to Sodom. But meanwhile, God in, this, in, in these verses has shared his, his um, plans with, with, with uh, Abraham. That happened in verse 20 and 21 that we just read before. right? The Lord said, this now he said to, to Abraham, I'm now going to see whether it's, uh, it's so bad, and if so, I'm going to destroy them. And then the angels left. So now Abraham approached and said, he approached God and said, Time out. Will you even destroy the righteous with the wicked? You told me that you're going to destroy now Sodom. You're going to punish the righteous with the wicked? It's not fair. Perhaps there are 50 righteous men in the midst of the city. Will you even destroy and not forgive the place and the, uh, for the sake of the 50 righteous men who are in its midst? How can you do collective punishment? How can you punish a whole city or cities if there are righteous people there? Abraham continues, and you see how he escalates. He escalates this. 
Far be it from you to do such a thing as this. He's telling God, God, morality. God, is this the kind of God you want to be? Far be it from you to do such a thing. To put to death the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be like the wicked. Far be it from you. He repeats, far be it from you. In the Hebrew, chalilalacha. Chalilalacha. How could you do such a thing? This is beneath you. This is not, this is not you. Far be it from you. And then he thunders with his final, not final, with his closer. Will the judge of the entire earth not perform justice? Right? Aren't you the judge of the whole world? You of all judges, you of all beings are going to be the one that acts in an unjust way? How could you, do, how could you punish the, the, the righteous with the wicked? Sure, there's some bad apples. But that means you have to throw out the whole bunch? That's not right. Let me stop here for a second and check in because I feel like I've talked for a while and I just want to make sure that everything is making sense. Does the narrative make sense? Yes? Why is Abraham involved? God said, Can I conceal what I'm about to do to Abraham? Look, Sodom was not too far from him. One day Abraham is going to wake up and the whole city is destroyed. Be like, God, did I miss something? Oh, I've been meaning to tell you. I'm so sorry. I've been meaning to tell you I was going and to destroy. Lot. Lot is there too, which is his nephew. Yes, yeah. which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, God says essentially, I can't keep this secret from Abraham. Abraham's my guy. I got to I gotta speak with him. Also giving Abraham the, the opportunity to advocate on their behalf, which he's, which he's doing right now. He's advocating on their behalf, which is something that, that um, Noah, Noah did not do in the times of the flood, as we've talked about many times. Lo, uh, sorry. Too many characters in my head. Noah did not go to bat. Noah said, you're going to destroy the world? Sure, no problem. I'll just build this ark and we're good. And Abraham says, it's not even him. It's not, it's not nothing to do with him. Abraham says, you can't destroy this place. What about the righteous people? It's also interesting that, you know, since Abraham's mission was to get as many people involved in Judaism as possible, and his own nephew, who he actually saved... Well, he did not get, was not on board. Yeah, right. yeah, listen, it's not, there's no guarantee. You could try to influence, but there, there's no, everyone ultimately goes their own way. And that's, you know, makes their own choice. It's the way it is. One of, one of I think, one of the, the gifts of, of adulthood and maturity is knowing that you're not in control. Is no, is, right, is that humility to know that you're not in control of the world, of the other person. I mean, we do our best. You know, we, we don't do our best to control things. We do our best to influence things. But what happens, the outcome, you know, what is out of our control. We can't control outcomes. We just control what we can do. That doesn't absolve us of the effort, but it does remind us that we're not in control. Mark. Sorry, I have a question. Sure. As you know, the Rambam said... Um, Hashem does not have human attributes. Right. We can say he doesn't have right. this attribute. Right. But in Rashi, what he says about this, when it says, will you even obliterate uh, uh, the righteous with the wicked? In, in other words, but it says, according to the translation of Ankylos, who rendered the Ha'af or Ha'af, type of smile here, I can't tell. Ha'af, uh, yeah, Ha'af. Yeah, it says, uh, uh, yeah, Ha'af, it says, as meaning anger. His explanation, his explanation is as follows. Will anger steer you 
that you would obliterate righteous with the wicked. Right. But that's a human attribute. That's why, okay. Yeah, so maybe that's what Abraham is saying. God, you're not of a human attribute. Why are you, so, why, why are you acting in a way that seems like you're angry? Let's, let's, let's do this in a... Now, obviously, God wasn't angry, but he's, that's the Abraham's accusation almost. Again, Abraham is going to bat. He's pulling out... He just accused God of not, being, of not acting justly. That's a big accusation. It's a big accusation. He said, the, the justice of the whole world is not going to act justly. That's a big, that's a big, uh, you know. Speaking of justice and judges, tonight on Zoom, Rookie Fryer, Judge Fryer from New York, live, 8 p.m. Don't miss this. The super, the Hasidic superwoman of Night Court, tonight at 8. She's shattered many glass ceilings, and uh, she's going to share her absolutely thrilling story. Been written up multiple times in the New York Times. So, um, Joy, I feel like you even sent me a few months ago an article about her. I remember I that. Did. I yeah. Did. Yeah. About so, the, um, the, about EMT. the EMT. Yeah. The yeah. ambulance. Yeah. The ambulance service. She's amazing. She's, she's, uh, she has, she as a judge has advocated for many, pushing many, many boundaries forward. So that's, it's a beautiful thing. So join us tonight for that. But back, let's wind ourselves out of that commercial back inside the text. So Abraham right now is, um, is, is, is angling to advocate for these cities that he really doesn't, he doesn't know. He's not there. But all he does know is that he doesn't want this to happen. So he's just pulling out all the cards. So God replies to Abraham and says, I agree. The Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous men within the city, I will forgive the entire place for their sake. If you're right that there were 50 righteous people, I wouldn't destroy it. But, and what's unspoken here is, but, FYI, we don't have 50 righteous men. 50 righteous people. Doesn't exist. They don't have it. If they had it, this wouldn't be on the table. But they have it. They, they don't even have 50. So Abraham answered and said, okay, he's still negotiating. He doesn't give up. It's, Behold, now I have commenced to speak to the Lord, although I am dust and ashes. So he... He says, he takes a humble posture. Before it was like, like just full force. Now he's like stepping back. He's like, okay, look, who am I? I'm but dust and ashes, right? I'm just a mortal human being. But I want to request something. Perhaps the 50 righteous men will be missing five. It's such a Jewish way of asking things, right? Maybe the 50 men that I was negotiating for, maybe there's five less. So maybe we have 45. So will you destroy the entire city because of Five? In other words, I almost got 50. Maybe there's 45. We're all just five away. Throw in the five. Throw in the five. God says, you're right. I will not destroy if I find there 45. If there were 45, I would, I, I, I would, I would hold back. But again, unspoken is the rejoinder. But there aren't 45. So Abraham continues. And he continued further to speak to him. And Abraham said, perhaps 40 will be found there. And God said, yeah, I won't do it for the sake of the 40. If I found 40, I wouldn't do it for their sake. But there aren't 40. All right, Abraham continues. And he said, please let the Lord's wrath not be kindled. Like, don't get upset at me too much, and I will speak. Perhaps 30 will be found there. So Abraham's gone down from 50 now to 30. And he's hoping 30, please, something. And God said, I will not do it if I find 30, but there aren't 30. Abraham continues, Behold, now I have desired to speak to the Lord. Perhaps 20 will be found there. Okay, maybe let's try 20. 
Do I hear 20? 20 going once. And God said, I will not destroy for the sake of the 20. If there were 20, I wouldn't destroy it. But there aren't 20. And Abraham said, please let the Lord's wrath not be kindled and I will speak yet this time. Final request. Perhaps 10. A minion. A quorum. 10 righteous people will be found there. God said, indeed, I will not destroy for the sake of 10. But there aren't 10. There aren't even 10. And that was it. Abraham negotiated. He tried. He begged. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Nothing. Abraham's argument goes out the window. The whole argument was, how could you destroy the righteous with the wicked? God says, there aren't any righteous. There aren't 10 at least. I mean, there there aren't 10. That was it. And the Lord departed when he finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. They both went back to their respective spaces. Rabbi, does this tell us that so if there's not one leader that's going to show the way and people follow him, left to their own devices, the the cities, the villages kind of disintegrate. It tells us that Abraham didn't believe that it was worth fighting for after there weren't ten. When he found out that there weren't ten, Abraham essentially said, Okay, I'm out. That was that's what he folded the card. He folded his cards. But as I've said before, and you've heard me say this, Moses shows us another, another angle. Even, Moses didn't say forgive the Jewish people because there are some righteous ones. He said forgive them or else. Or else I'm out. Take my name out of the Torah. But it's also sad that, I mean, without the presence of a strong leader showing the way and he's not followed, then the cities on their own disintegrate. Yeah. Lord of the Flies. Remember that book? Yeah, what do you do when uh, human beings are left to their own devices? It might get a little tricky, right? Things can get a little bit uh, sticky. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what's going on here is, is you have this negotiation where Abraham's like, well, maybe there are some good people. Maybe there's hope. And God's like, yeah, I, I agree. If there were, I would be on the same team. I would be on the same page with you, Abraham. Like we're, we're in agreement, but the facts on the ground are just th- those don't exist. Not in, not in this place. Not in Sodom and, and, and Amorah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't exist. So from Noah to Abraham to Moses, Moses was the ultimate because he saved everybody. Noah said, I don't care about anybody. Abraham said, I care about them vis-a-vis the righteous. And Moses says, just forgive. Just forgive. Even if there are no unguilty ones. Everyone's guilty. It doesn't matter. You still have to forgive. You don't have to, but I still want you to forgive. Otherwise, it's fine. Your choice, but my choice is I'm out. That's it. You turn your back, I turn my back. Deal? God blinks. He says, all right, I'll forgive. In the showdown, and Moses teaches us. It's almost like also, uh, yeah, there's a lot of lessons, personal lessons. Like how do we view our, our own self? Do we only have value vis-a-vis our own inner righteousness or even as we are in a state of imperfection is a value? I mean, Three different, three, three different understandings of, of, of human value, right? Noah's value is either you're perfectly righteous or bust. Abraham is, the, the, you, we can tolerate the bad as long as there's some good. And Moses is, the bad is also, I mean, the, the, not, the imperfect is also, 
not, not that it's holy, not that it's, it's ideal, but it's, it's part of our story, and it's also sacred. It's also ultimately from God, so we have to honor that and, and, and try to work with it or work against it, but not, uh, not, not destroy it on, on a con- in a conventional sense. Anyway, just different personal application of these ideas. So we're left with, and I think for today, we're going to close it out. Um, I know I mentioned three readings, but two is fine. Two is Baruch Hashem, very robust. So we'll pick it up tomorrow. We'll try to do three and four tomorrow. So we'll be catching up tomorrow. Um, what we read today, just to recap, Abraham is healing post-op, post-op recovery. God visits, the angels visit, the promised the son in one year's time. Now it's real. Now it's getting real. Um, three angels, three jobs. Angels don't multitask. Maybe neither should we. You know, it's good, good to single task once in a while. Um, um, Abraham is, uh, his hospitality is, is incredible. Um, there's a lot of laughter around, the, around the, the, the news of the child. Yitzchak will be called Yitzchak laughter for, for these reasons. And um, then we read the story about the, uh, the destruction, the impending destruction of Saddam and Amora, Saddam and Gomorrah. And what was the straw that broke the camel's back? Doesn't seem so bad. Seems like all it was was like not sharing. A society that doesn't honor the other, doesn't value the other, that turns against each other, that society doesn't have a future. That's the message. That society implodes from within. A society in which everyone's fighting against each other, I have mine, you have yours, don't talk to me, I won't talk to you, and if I catch you sharing, it's a problem, and... and, and that society can't sustain itself. You don't, you don't even need God to overturn it. That, city, that, that nation, that land, that people will, will overturn each other. We kind of addressed that issue in a macro sense of, in the finance course with Rabbi Schusterman in the concept of excess profits to the executives. Right, CEO compensation, right. He's a viva workers. Right. Yeah. CEO compensation, which is a massive issue today. A lot of, um, I can't say a lot. There's, you know, the, um, the supply chain shortage. A lot of it is, you know, a lot of people are reprioritizing their lives. What do I want to do? Do I want to do this job? Do I want to make this kind of money? Do I want something else? So you have like a lot of, there's a lot of um, upheaval. And I'm, I'm not trying to, 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 to simplify a very nuanced and complex dynamic. There's a lot of factors that are going into this, right? Post-COVID, you know, issue with, with, with stuff and, and the economy. Um, but there is also a sense, and, and there has been growing a frustration about that, 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 that income inequality and that sort of thing. And it's not only about the inequality of, of, of what the paycheck is, but it's also about the spirit of generosity. That's really what it comes down to. Well, I don't mean in America. I mean in, in, in the Torah, getting back to the Torah's idea of Sodom. What's the problem with Sodom? It's, it's, a, it's a lack of a spirit of generosity. Right? That one person has and one person doesn't have, that is not yet a problem. As long as the one who has, sorry, let me speak English. As long as the one who does have cares about and shares with the one that doesn't have, then we're fine. Right? I mean, it's like somebody has, somebody doesn't have, so we're taking care of each other. That's great. Some take care of each other financially um, and in different ways. You know, everyone, we all help each other. That's a, that's a functioning society. Think about the human body. A human body is healthy 
when all, when all of the limbs and organs are working together. Imagine if the heart would say to the rest of the body, guys, you're on your own, all the blood for me. I'm keeping all the blood, not pumping out blood, distributing. I should distribute blood to you. Get your own blood. Guess what? Dead. You can't function because you can't function like that. If there was only one person on earth and they didn't share, who are they, who are they sharing with? But it's an organism. We live as an organism. The biggest mistake is that we think that we're solitary individuals. The Torah is reminding us here that we're all in this together. It's not just a slogan to put out on the lawn. It's not just a sign. It's not just a bumper sticker. We're literally all in this together. And if we don't actually take care of each other, then the whole system breaks down. The whole organism breaks down. So what I'm trying to say is, I don't know that you need God to come in with fire and salt and sulfur to destroy the city, which, whoops, spoiler, that's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know that you need that. I think it just, I think it just implodes from the inside. How does it implode? What does it look like? I don't know. Civil war, revolt, tyranny. I mean, this has happened before in history. Revolutions have been born of this, of a frustration of, 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 of just a society that doesn't get along with, with itself, a populace that, 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 that turns against each other. You can't have a, a healthy society like that. And again, I'm not, um, by the way, I'm not saying, I'm not pointing anything and saying that we're there. I'm just, all I'm saying is, Saddam can't, can't function. The, the, if you're taking a young woman who's feeding someone bread who's starving to death and you cover her with honey and let the bees attack her and kill her, that, that's done. It's, it's, the society's finished. If that's, if that's your rule of law, that, if that's your system, it's not a society. Anyway, it just reminds us about the importance of generosity. And it also provides a really wonderful contrast, powerful contrast. The, the first story of the Torah portion and the second story of the same portion. The generosity of Abraham, three days after circumcision, in massive pain, sitting outside in the sun, looking, scanning the horizon for guests. He can't be satisfied recuperating if someone is out there looking for food. Contrast that with Sodom that has plenty and will not share. You could, you, I mean, it's obvious that that's, Story one, story two, A, B comparison. Abraham, Sodom. Generosity, no generosity. The lesson is clear. Choose door number one, right? Narrative number one is the Jewish way. Let's be thankful and grateful for what we have and share the gifts. That's, that's literally what we're here for. All right. Um, it's a little bit late, so we will close it out. Um, thank you for joining. Don't forget tonight, the Hasidic... Uh, Oh, the Hasidic superwoman of Night Court. We're getting the link, right? <laughs> yes, yes. The link has been created. The link has been created. All that's left is for me to email it out to everybody. That is going to happen within the next, give me about 30 minutes. Within 30 minutes, please God, the email will go out to everybody. You'll have the link with plenty of time to get on early and to, to get in. If you don't get the link, let me know. I'll get you the link. So that's coming up tonight. Again, Zoom, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join us and spread the word. It's going to be a really, really beautiful uh, evening. She's, she's a powerhouse. She's incredible. So very inspiring. Tonight, 8 p.m. 
with Judge Ruchi Fryer. Um, Joy, Donna, Mark, Olya, Sarah. It's great to see you all. All right. Thank See you, you soon. Sure. See you tomorrow. Take care, everybody. Bye.